Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday the 13th of October 2020. Our penders across the Pond stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. So the world finds itself at a dangerous turning point as far as recovery from the coronavirus is concerned, with rising cases in many countries now forcing the reintroduction of various forms of containment measures that can only damage the prospects for global growth over coming months, if not quarters. However, while this may not be good news for, sorry, while this may be good news for bonds, if it equates with still weaker inflation, it hardly seems to be troubling equity markets, which apparently regard bad news on the virus as boosting the likelihood of yet more quantitative easing from the central banks and possibly some additional fiscal stimulus too. That said, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, has just revised up its global growth forecast for this year from minus 5.2 in June to minus 4.4%. That mainly reflects a smaller than originally expected contraction in second quarter GDP, but it's still an awful number and it won't incorporate some of the new restrictions recently announced. Growth in 2021 is put at 5.2%. That's down from 5.4% last time and means that GDP will be just 0.6% above its level in 2019. Now, although that's at least a positive number, it only comes courtesy of the emerging market and developing economies as the advanced economies will still be well short. Inflation in advanced economies is seen at 0.8% um, in 2020 before climbing to 1.6% next year. Uh, but I suspect many central banks will be more than happy with that. So talking of happy, what is it to cheer us up from your side of the pond, Mark? Give us some happy numbers. Uh, happy numbers. If you're a used car dealer, you are a happy person. We just had the CPI today. And for the third month in a row, the uh, prices of uh, used cars and uh, trucks have uh, shot are shooting through the roof, um, but and that is in contrast, however, to uh, the rest of uh, or most other prices, which are are, are definitely flat, uh, um, and uh, including shelter, which is. Um, and medical care too, but that, those two together make up more than half of the, of the, of the whole CPI basket. And they were uh, uh, medical care was unchanged in September, and shelter uh, was up uh, only 0.1 percent. And that compares with uh, used vehicles up 6.7 percent in the month, 5.4 in the and 2.3 in the two prior months. Uh, used uh, new vehicles. Um, are uh, haven't been showing anywhere near the traction, but did uh, rise a bit. And I guess this ha this must be some um, uh, COVID effect of uh, and and pushing uh, perhaps uh, you know uh, uh, lower wage workers. I, this is a guess uh, to uh, used vehicles. Have you seen anything like that on um, on your side of the pond? Um, not so much. Well, I think it's got to be said that by on the whole, under the car market, the auto market over here is still struggling to you know, to, really, to regain any traction. We have seen certainly increase in, in new car registrations, but I think you're probably right. The, the second hand car market, as, as we call it, is certainly doing rather better, which may well be, as you say, just a, a symptom of the fact that you know people are genuinely concerned about what job prospects are, what wages growth is going to be over the course of next mm. year or so. So it is helping to uh, provide some kind of protection for demand of lower price goods. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be, uh, if you're in, uh, you know, the, the vehicle maintenance business, uh, that has to be a good uh, indication. But otherwise, 
the CPI report uh, was, it unfortunately, didn't offer very much good news at all. The core, which is the most important reading, um, which excludes energy and food, uh, was unchanged year on year at 1.7%. That was at the low end of Econo Day's uh, consensus and won't be giving Federal Reserve officials much uh, you know, reason to ha- have much uh, new confidence that uh, price traction is building. And it's interesting. This whole, this whole uh, year has been an interesting uh, you know, uh, as far as monetary policy goes, ma- or, or fiscal policy, you know, massive stimulus it hasn't correlated at all yet with inflationary pressures, which is the traditional. Um, and, and 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 it's like you you had been saying before about uh, how important um, inflation is to uh, European policymakers and to the expectations of European monetary policy. Whereas in the US, it's also inflation, that's true, but um, the Fed is, is more looking, I think, at employment. Even though it traditionally inflation is the ultimate gauge to what to expect, but if you can put in uh, out unlimited stimulus, and still see just prices just laying there. Um, it's uh, you know it's it you know it's it's time to maybe you know as it has through the whole last uh, you know the last dozen years to reconsider or to restudy or to uh, you know to have a new look at how inflation actually behaves. It, it's it's a, a, a gigantic mystery at the very heart of of economics and. Um, and so it has me speechless. Well, I think I must say, I think in many ways, you're to some extent was paraphrasing what uh, Christine Lagarde, the ECB president, was saying what a week or so ago. Um, I think as we talked about in the past, there's this fundamental wholesale review of yeah, ECB monetary policy taking place at the moment. And hopefully they'll have some results out from that during the, the first half of next year. But certainly from the way Lagarde's talking, um, she's very much coming down on the side. Well, look, we may have a target we may possibly keep the target as is but we really need to find out why inflation is as weak as it is why it's been undershooting target for so long and do we have to do something which perhaps bring the inflation target program itself or the operation of the inflation target more into what we might well now call the real world um, as you say, I think from the, the public sector deficit side, I mean, it really is interesting because we've got, no, let's be honest, record public sector deficit pretty well across the world at the moment. And not just by a little bit, we're talking by a massive amount. And yet we haven't seen inflation going up. So does that mean then that perhaps the bond market's got it right? in the sense that you look around uh, sovereign debt at the moment, you think those yields are ridiculously low, they can't stay down there, given the supply that's going to hit the market. Well, perhaps if inflation now has moved into the stage whereby 2% is almost too high, it's always going to remain lower than that. And indeed, perhaps, you know, central banks, fiscal policymakers are going to struggle to get inflation back into positive territory again. You know, these low yields are going to be with us for an awful long time, even when the recovery starts to come about. It's it's almost like Noah's Ark. the The world is swimming in debt, and uh, it's it's and so I don't know what the resolution is going to be. I guess there's no choice what we have to do now. But um, um, who's going to buy this debt eventually? It's all going to have to be monetized. Maybe it, it perhaps well, at the end, or all forgiven, yeah. or you know. 
that's the big question, isn't it? Whether or not anyone would actually be prepared to come out and say, OK, we accept we've been through a unique period and therefore we're going to use you know, a unique way of addressing it. And it may be you know, partial or complete monetization at some point in the future. But it is interesting, given all the you think the kind of disruptions we've had to the international economy and you look at how well the financial markets by and large are continuing to function, largely courtesy of what these central banks are doing. I mean, just last week, I mean, we take you know, within Europe. Europe. If you're looking for problems, you'll typically look at what's happening to spreads between, say, Italian BTBs or Greek bonds versus German bonds. Well, I mean, Greek bond yields are all time lows at the moment. And, and this is at a time when you think there could well be, you know, safe haven panic buying of the likes of anything to do with Germany at the expense of the more peripheral Eurozone currencies. But it's simply not happening. happening. And that's one reason why I think, although the ECB is certainly not happy with where inflation is, is and we're talking what minus um well just minus 0.3 um at the moment on the year-on-year bait for the headline inflation figure it's still taking heart by virtue of the fact that the financial system across the eurozone is still remarkably stable and if nothing else at least it can sort of hang its hat on that um Oh, uh, uh, yeah, well, uh, can you touch on the UK labor? You were talking about good news. Um, uh, uh, tell us the good news in the UK labor market uh, report, and uh, and also how the different measures. It's a mix of, of September and August and moving averages. It's it's hard it's hard to read, uh, you know, for a neophyte. Yeah, it's hard for a Brit to understand as well because there's so many we have coming out over here. I suppose, I mean, the good news is at the end of the day, um, unemployment is still relatively low. So if we take the International Labour Organization measure, uh, the rate there, it did come in above expectations. It was 4.5%. The market was expecting 4.3%, which you know, in normal times, that would be significantly higher. But given what's happening right across the world in terms of joblessness currently, perhaps that's not too much a surprise. Um, but it is moving up. But, you know, I think for the government, at least it's not moving up too quickly. We have an alternative measure called the claimant count. Uh, that saw just a 0.1 percentage point increase in the rate from 7.5 percent up to 7.6 percent. This is for uh, the month of September. And that was well below market expectations. Um, so I don't know. You know. There's good plight, I think, with all employment reports at the moment. There's good news and there's bad news. I mean, the bad news, I think, you're looking as we go forward, I mean, redundancies over the last quarter saw a record increase. So I think, again, it's kind of still this case whereby labour markets, UK, Eurozone, are very much deriving support from these government help packages, which as they're phased out, and some of them are still going to be around for quite a long while yet, but necessarily it's going to start to see upward pressure coming through on a lot of these unemployment rates. Another thing is what's going to happen, you know, as far as we get, as far as we, particularly as far as the UK is concerned. And indeed, just, just moving on to the UK, I, mean, I think the government's pretty well accepted that now. Because we've talked about before about their um, their furlough scheme, the job so-called job retention scheme, that is still scheduled to end um, at the end of October, so this month. Last week they announced it would be replaced by a new scheme called the job support scheme, which basically amounts to the same kind of thing but costs the government less. But in the last few days, they've already had to add something onto that um, in anticipation of well, what's already happening. This uh, big second wave of a COVID, COVID at the moment. So, you know, it, it does seem that uh, fiscal policy across Europe continues to be loose and I think there's more to come. Possibly, though, unless you work on the EU Commission. 
Um, and this COVID rescue program, they've still got all sorts of problems with that. That is currently, this is this, this, this package, which is you have the recovery fund, which is to, supposed to be the first really big pan-European rescue fund uh, to operate right across Europe. Um, which will be funded by uh, Europe by joint European bonds, so potentially it's a massive thing for eurozone markets. But it's currently sitting in the European Parliament, which is still trying to make uh, the disbursement of these funds tied to rules of law, uh, and that's despite the complaints coming out of particularly Hungary, but also Poland as well. And indeed, there was a report from one of the main Spanish newspapers this morning suggesting that because of the problems they've got trying to get agreement in the European Parliament, uh, the actual programme itself may not be coming into effect until the end of 2021. So that'd be a year late. So there's still all sorts of problems, I think, concerning that. And it does seem that we've seen from some politicians effectively coming out and saying, now, look, you might as well just do your own thing to the individual countries and hope that fiscal policy will come via additional stimulus out of, you know, out of, out of um, Angela Merkel um, sitting in, um, in, in Berlin, albeit um, Italy coming on a national basis. But it's going to be down to individual governments to really take responsibility for helping their economies well, rather than this coordinated effort which was supposed to be in place. Well, uh, Jeremy, aren't, um, what are the restrictions for individual countries and their uh, debt to GDP? Are well, they've been waived, or are, they are, have been waived, and this is crucially. Um, it's a good question, actually. It's, um, uh, they've crucially been waived. Um, in the past, um, under what they call the Maastricht Treaty, which was the treaty which laid down the criteria needed um, for entry into the single market or single currency, I should say. Um, that laid down that budget deficits or government deficits to GDP ratios should be no more than three percent. Um, and that's the cap on it, and also keep the deficit to GDP ratios of no more than 60%. Now, the 60% mark, I must say, has been exceeded by a lot of countries in the past, but it's been the, the deficit to GDP numbers that the EU Commission has been keen to make sure actually worked and put, well, necessarily would put fines on individual countries to meet that. But they were wavered. Um, as a result of the coronavirus. So it's kind of opened the door now for these individual governments to say, well, look, if the likes of the EU Commission can't get their act together and help us, we're going to do our own thing. And that's why we're going to see, you know, time we get to the back end of this year, huge borrowing numbers coming out of pretty well all of the Eurozone countries, which will bear you know, no, be no relationship to what these uh, original stability criteria stood for. Um, um, it, it's, you know, we're going to get the Treasury data. Yeah. Because uh, you've got some up. big numbers your side. Yes. You? Well, it's going to be, I, you know, the Econoday consensus is for um, the um, September. Let me just see what that last number is here in my Econoday calendar. It uh, This is going, last I looked, it's going to be about uh, $3.1 trillion, uh, the deficit, uh, the U.S. fiscal year uh, ends in September. We're looking at uh, the deficit for September. The consensus is now 115, which would just put it just a little bit over 3.1 uh, trillion, which would be about 200 percent or so more than the. 200% more than the prior year, which was already extreme going into this. You know, we can't forget that the global economy was kind of grinding down amid uh, global trade tensions and stuff, even before anyone even had yep. even heard of the coronavirus. So, uh, and uh, U.S. debt was already extremely high, and now it's super extremely high. Um, 
And now uh, this number is released on a monthly basis in the Treasury. Th this report's probably going to be delayed because of, of accounting um, necessities for the final report. It's kind of an anytime untimed event uh, sometime this week, probably later in the week, even though it's formally scheduled for this afternoon. So in Europe now, um, I see the UK has a monthly uh, report. How does a country like Germany or Italy or France? How do they report their um, their, their budget uh, statements? They do. They do issue um, monthly figures, but it's got to be said that on the whole, I think most investors don't really pay that much attention to them. They tend to concentrate upon the figures which are released uh, on a quarterly basis by the by the European Commission. Um, and so those are certainly in line with yours. They, they've been trending upwards. Uh, I'm seeing the latest figures a little while now. I think they're probably round, running at roundabout where I think government debt, I think, was, as a proportion of GDP, that was up to just over 83 percent, if I remember rightly, as far as the eurozone is concerned but that was only for the let me think fourth quarter of 2019 so these numbers are you know quite significantly out, out of date and we won't really know what's going on as far as 2020 is concerned really until we get well into uh, into next year but it's some it's going to be safe to say that all these figures will be you know will be going through the roof um, while we're on Europe, I suppose I should also mention um, uh, Europe, UK, Brexit, because on paper, and we've been here umpteen times before, this could be a very important uh, week as far as Brexit actually goes. Um, or at least I should say I mean, Brexit's, Brexit's already happened, but the, the post-Brexit trade relationship between the UK and uh, the European Union. Um, now, on Thursday and Friday, the EU, 27 EU leaders will be holding uh, uh, their summit in Brussels, uh, the main focal point of which, as far as financial markets concerned, will be what they have to say about the state of the EU-UK trade negotiations. Now, the official round of things was the ninth round was completed last week and achieved nothing. There are unofficial talks going on as we speak, and they presumably will, presumably will run up until at least Thursday. But Thursday is seen as being this potential benchmark date because it's when Boris Johnson Johnson um, has said and is still maintaining that if there's no clear sign of an agreement at that stage, then he's going to walk away from any future discussions. So as things currently stand, if we don't get something coming out of this meeting to suggest that the UK and the EU are very close to agreeing something, then it could be potentially hugely destabilising for UK financial markets. I think from the way um, the pound's been trading, uh, the gilt market's been trading, indeed, even UK stocks have been trading uh, for the best part of the last few months now, despite concerns that there's a growing risk that there won't be any kind of trade deal, which means in a nutshell that once we get to the beginning of 2021, the EU and the UK will simply resort to World Trade Organization rules, which means each country will be slapping tariffs on the other country. So it's worst case for, for both of us. Well, but uh, Jer despite, Jeremy, yeah. when would you see this destabilization affecting the markets? We haven't seen it really. Have we seen it much? Uh, uh, no, yet? that's what I'm saying. We haven't. They've been trading remarkably stable 
stably so far, which I think to me suggests that um, investors and market participants are looking at what happened with the Brexit, you know, the actual overall Brexit withdrawal deal itself last year. If you remember, we had um, well a lot of talk about almost every podcast. I think we talked about talked about it at some point, and there was this growing sense that there wasn't going to be any kind of Brexit deal, and the UK would just walk away from the European Union full stop. There'll be no trade deal, nothing. But it went to you know the brinkmanship really right down to the wire. And then Boris Johnson finally came out this deal towards the back end of last year, when increasingly people are starting to think it's not going to happen. But they weren't prepared to go you know, down the whole road, which says it's definitely not going to happen. And I think because there was this last minute overall Brexit agreement last year was this sense that there's a lot of politicking going on at the moment. Um, there's a lot of brinkmanship going on. On the bottom line to you know, the real problems at the moment, the two biggest obstacles concern are the rules limiting state aid in the UK. Well, basically, the UK's view is that we want to be able to dish out whatever state aid we want to UK companies, uh, whatever we may be. But of course, that will include Northern Ireland, which remains attached, although it's still part of the UK, it has effectively this open border with Southern Ireland. Um, and that means that, you know, how can the UK determine what's going to happen to Northern Ireland, where Northern Ireland is pseudo still part of the European Union? So that's one sticking point, And that comes under what the, the EU Commission is talking about. You know, we need to have a level playing field. And the other big point is EU fishing boats access to, to British fishing waters. Um, now, the British want to get most of that back. The French effectively want to maintain the access they have at the moment as part of EU rules. And these two you know, sticking blocks, well, really big walls have been built around them and it's made it very difficult to get any kind of agreement. But as we've seen in the past, there may be scope for compromises on both sides. And I think it will take that. And if they were to get that, then I think if they come out on Thursday and say, OK, we've agreed a trade deal, you're going to see the pound shoot up. But if they come out and say there's no deal, you can see the pound getting absolutely trashed. And this so, is guaranteed on Thursday, this statement? Well, there should be. Well, you see, they may. Um, the EU typically will either come out the statement on Thursday or Friday because the meeting itself actually ends on Friday. The problem here is that Johnston, Boris Johnson, has said that October the 15th, which is the Thursday, is his deadline. And if there's no agreement by then, it doesn't matter. He's going to walk away. So I think as far as the market's concerned, you know, the, the focus is currently upon what is either side going to say on Thursday. So watch this space, as they say, because it could have <laughs> ramifications for a number of markets, because say if it's it, it would be if they come out and say, right, there's no deal. Discussions are now off and there's going to be UK is going to end its transition period at the end of this year and move straight to, onto World Trade Organization tariff deals. Um, then that's certainly going to be bad news for the UK economy. But it's also going to be bad news for the, for the Eurozone or European economy as well. So if it's bad for the pound and it's bad for the euro, presumably it's got to be good news good for, for the, the dollar. dollar and also for the likes of a Swiss franc. So this could have knock-on effects you know, across a whole range of currencies. Um, what else have I got from my side? I suppose um, I should mention latest goings on on the interest rate front. 
Um, I still think from what the ECB are saying, on your side, of course, the Fed's saying no to negative interest rates, if yes, I remember correctly, right, from what yeah. you said before. Yeah, on this side, um, ECB still seem to think, of course, they've got negative interest rates, but there still seems to be no appetite to take rates down any further. But the Bank of England yesterday um, sent out a letter to the CEOs of a number of firms um, explaining that the central bank is starting a, well, sort of a consultation period on negative uh, and or zero interest rates uh, with the financial sector. Uh, now, they went on to say that, you know, this is just at this stage a discussion uh, with firms. It's asking them really um, they don't have to take operational steps to be ready for, you know, a negative interest rate regime yet. But basically, you know, how long would it take them to do it? How easy it would be for them to do it? And so on and so forth. So I think, you know, the, the bottom line to all this is, uh, you know, will the bank come out and cut interest rates at its next meeting on, where are we, November the 5th? Uh, no, that's very unlikely. Could they, though, cut interest rates if the COVID numbers continue to escalate over here as they are at the moment? Uh, yes, they could do, perhaps at December or perhaps you know, at some point next year. So it does mean that although there's been this toing and froing from the bank over whether or not negative interest rates are a good thing, they are at least still a possibility, even if not necessarily a probability. Um, OK, what else we got? Well, I suppose from my side on the numbers front, it's really say quite quiet um, this time round uh, this week. It's going to be the, the Thursday EU meeting uh, that has the uh, you know the biggest impact on markets. Are there any big figures to look forward to on your side? Yes, we do. We do on Friday. It's, you know, I, I, it's uh, it looks to be upstaged by the European uh, uh, if we don't already have those headlines by um Especially if we don't have those headlines by Friday, but uh, Friday morning here we're going to have uh, retail sales and industrial production for uh, September. And that's you know both the key numbers on the supply side and key numbers on the demand side. Uh, and um, uh, moderate to solid is the uh, expectation uh, Conaday's consensus for retail sales, ranging from 0.7 percent. Uh, overall, which looks like a really good, strong monthly gain, but the uh, key core reading, the control group, which uh, removes volatile um, elements, is only 0.2, and that was in the negative territory in August. So that could uh, take. So you, uh, you want to double check before you make any conclusions on retail sales that you look into the uh, into the details of the report. Industrial production uh, looks a little, to be a little bit more solid, 0.6% uh, overall with manufacturing output the expectation 0.8 which would be very good but there's still but this is still struggling to uh, to get up to where it was in February so uh, it probably it looks to be um, a moderately positive news I'm not sure it, it, it would have to take an, uh, a very uh, out of the range uh, result to I think make a big significant change plus a uh, negative or positive on the outlook which is um, I think policymakers are still you know, uh, cautiously optimistic. Listening to um, Jerome Powell last week, there you know it's still uh, you know a, a a a solid recovery. But today's CPI wasn't so hot, and and there's other indications that um, the fourth the third quarter and the fourth quarter rebounds may not be as spectacular <laughs> as uh, as uh, advertised or as uh, thought and uh, that would 
in any case, the outlook for 21 is uh, is still uh, a completely really unknown. It's going to be tied to COVID over here, where the rates are so much higher. Infection rates are so much higher than they are in other parts of of uh, the world. But it, it's not leading yet to significant new restrictions or even talk about such restrictions. Even though hospitalizations are up and those kinds of things, it, it, it's not, it hasn't become a big issue yet. Yeah, that could be important because that is what's happening very much right across Europe now. I mean, a number of the, well, most of the, well, I say most, I, mean, I think all countries now right across Europe are seeing rising COVID um, numbers um, and some countries, UK now included, are seeing a rapid escalation. So we will have new restrictions here being introduced as of tomorrow, a new so-called three-tier system. I think France has already announced we've pretty well got, uh, well, disaster states in about nine major cities. Uh, Germany also is starting to screw the lid down again. So I think you're talking about fourth quarter. Well, I think definitely um, forecasters will be revising down their expectations on eurozone or indeed european growth for the fourth quarter because of what's going to happen over the next several months with regards to restrictions so if your side can get away without them then that again that could be quite positive news as far as the dollar is concerned okie dokie anything else let me ask you one last question okay, question okay, before yeah. we go i don't want to spend too long uh-huh. politics since we spoke big vaguely oh, economics yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but just uh, just it does seem to me as an obviously a, a clear outsider from many miles away across the water lucky you um, <laughs> oh, yeah well you should, you should try our side um but Joe Biden would appear to be maintaining, if not increasing, his lead in the polls. And that would appear to be having, from what I can see, very little impact upon anything. So is it now the case that investors just take the view, if Mr. Trump wins, then we're going to see some kind of fiscal package. If Mr. Biden wins, we're going to see some kind, see of, some fiscal kind of fiscal package. package. So well, why worry about it? And does, well, does this mean we're in a win-win situation here? I guess you could look at it that way. But, you know, just the reference to the polls is, you know, they are they have proven that themselves like the understanding of inflation and and think of all the the, the wasted effort that all those economists over uh, <laughs> two generations spent on the natural rate of unemployment and those issues and the Phillips curves and those kinds of things I mean um, it was just a waste of time <laughs> and so so, so I mean perhaps this polling is uh, is that science is also proving itself deficient um, but I uh, and I guess a massive stimulus, unless there perhaps is, a, you know, a um, you know a conflicted result uh, where neither side uh, has, um, you know, a, a mandate, then um, it, it, that might limit uh, stimulus. But um, it's it's hard to say. Uh, Unlimited fiscal stimulus, it's, is that in store where, you know, uh, we, we can expect stimulus checks at, at routine levels to keep uh, uh, rents paid? Is that the outlook? That's not for, for you know, uh, the American um, ideal or the, uh, what's the word I want? Uh, it's not really the ideal, but it's the, uh, the word escapes me right now. But it's not... Uh, it, it is Europe, you know, Europe, I think, has a tendency, and correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, continental Europe, at least, has a, you know, that the, the government uh, subsistence is a, a natural right for <laughs> a citizen. Yeah. That is not so clear traditionally over here. 
and and uh, I'm not sure that that's playing out uh, uh, much, but I think it could be in the background, and that's what we're uh, uh, moving toward uh, with this, you know, need to uh, do whatever we can to uh, maintain uh, our economies. Uh, so. Um, uh, I, I think that that is an interesting background uh, uh, abstraction that is uh, that 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 is uh, that that is you know like I say playing out over here. Interesting, very well put. Okay, then let's wrap it up there before we prattle on too long as usual. Um, so we will call it for this week. Um, on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as ever for listening. We'll be back next week. But of course, in the meantime, you can keep up to date with all the key market moving data and events in O'Connor Day's global economic calendar. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.